can tell me what part we should be by now in the, the study of the prophetic literatures? Who can tell me what part are we now? Part 23, what part are we now? We've lost count. <laughs> uh, well, this is what? You're not even writing the parts that we're dealing with or something, maybe? Okay, just this headings or whatever. Anyway, it's okay. But this is part 14 so far. Somebody got it before? If you had gotten it, you will have gotten a reward of 5,000. <laughs> okay, that's part 14. Um, we're going to continue with uh, keys to understanding prophetic literatures or apocalyptic writers, symbols. We want to deal with uh, one word today, which is the word mountain. Mountain, and then we will deal with this scripture that talks about those who are kind of crying and saying that the mountains fall on us so that we can understand precisely what all those things uh, stands for and who perhaps was saying those things. Amen. Okay, first of all, let's deal with mountain. Uncommonly, um, what we believe more is mountains fix all problems. Right? And uh, it is often taken from the issue of uh, Zerubbabel. So, all mountain that stand before Zerubbabel shall be made plain. So, we're often seeing that to be problems and all that. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. But in terms of prophetic language, it's not speaking of just that alone. And that's what I want to share with us tonight. So, um, in apocalyptic writers, which is figurative language, mountains speaks of nations. They speaks of nations. And not just nations, but basically a nation that oppose God. An earthly nation that is opposed to God. Let me start reading from Jeremiah 51. Jeremiah 51. And I just look at verse 25. And I'm reading from the NIV. Jeremiah 20, 51 verse 25. It says, I'm against you, O destroying mountain. He would destroy the whole earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against you, roll you off the cliffs, and make you a burnt out mountain. Praise the Lord. Now, if you take time to study the whole of this chapter, you just see that God was actually speaking about the kingdom of Babylon. So the mountain you see here in verse 25 is talking about Babylon. God talking about the destruction of Babylon. And he calls Babylon a mountain. Amen. Hallelujah. So this is the Babylonian Empire. The whole of, the whole of that chapter, begin to read from verse 1 down. Uh, it's just talking about Babylon and all of that. Now, look at verse 11 of the chapter. Verse 11 of Jeremiah 51. Let me look at something in verse 11 so that you see what I'm saying here. Verse 11 down to 13. Don't forget the exit of what I'm doing, trying to give you insight as to how when you begin to read the Bible, you can interpret certain things and you don't get confused because of the languages that are being used, which are prophetic. Hallelujah. Verse 11 says, Make bright the arrows, gather the shield. The Lord has raised up the spirit of the kings of the Medes, 
for his device is against Babylon. Can you see that? To destroy it because it is the vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance of his temple. Set up the standard upon the walls of Babylon. Make the wall strong. Set up the watchmen. Prepare the ambushes. For the Lord hath both devised and done that which he spake against the inhabitants of Babylon. All that dwelleth upon many waters and burdened in treasures, thy end is come. And the measure of thy what? Covetousness. Now remember what we read uh, two weeks ago uh, in the book of Revelation when we're talking about Babylon. I'm here from your mother. Fine. The same principle, the same language is being used here. So that is exactly what it is when you talk about mountains. You're not talking about just problems in prophetic languages. You're talking about nations which are ethnic, which are covetous, and the earthly nations that basically opposes God's life, God's righteousness. That is what you mean when you're talking about mountains. Amen? Hallelujah. Okay? And um, remember, when we're, when we're dealing with this issue of Babylon, when we read uh, Revelation 17, we talked about mystery Babylon that was sitting upon many waters. How many of you remember that? Good. And we try to explain that waters doesn't speak of the Pacific or Atlantic Ocean or Indian Ocean. It speaks about the people. Is that all right? Hey, are we together? Good. So that's what it means. So here we find that Babylon uh, is telling them to dwell upon many waters. And again, if you go in a prophetic language, coming to spiritualization, if I may use the word, um, it's not just, maybe I'll touch that when we get down to the book of Revelation. But the point is, I believe in what you call preterist eschatology to an extent. But at the same time, I'm more convinced about kingdom eschatology. Preterist eschatology is the branch of study or eschatology that deals with the fact that most of the prophetic world were fulfilled in Israel. You can find a lot of traits there. For instance, if you look at 1 Peter, chapter 4, verse 7, Peter said the end of all things has come. What things? What are the all things that have come? And that is directly connected to Matthew 24. When the Bible says, then the end shall come. And Peter now said, the end of all things has come. That is preterist language. Is that okay? So, these are covenant fulfilled prophetic words for Israel. But above that, because the Bible says, the things that are happened to them are for example unto us. So you can't just limit it to Israel. It has to be yesterday, today, and forever. That is why I talk about kingdom eschatology. Are you getting that now? All right. So, and that is the way I interpret the book of Revelation. I interpret it in terms of fulfilled portions or languages. At the same time, I explain it or teach it or see it or understand it to be something that can fulfill you and I. Because Babylon is not just a city, it's also a spirit. Is that okay? Right. It's a spirit that can walk in your life and in my life. So we need to understand it from that perspective. And when you come to that, you're talking about kingdom eschatology. Amen? All right. So here we find that the Lord has set up the kings of the Medes because his purpose is to destroy Babylon. Just like we have just uh, read. The Bible said the Lord will take vengeance on Babylon. All right? That is what he said in the book of, as you look at it from uh, NIV, he said, the Lord has set up the kings, verse 11, the Lord has set up the kings of the Medes because his purpose is to destroy Babylon. The Lord will take vengeance. So when we talk about destroying Babylon, that's why he said, all destroying mountains. So God was speaking against it. I'm going to bring you down. I'm going to destroy you. And we know he's talking about Babylon. Is that all right? So just like I said before, this is completely different from when you said 
Uh, the mountain that's standing before the Rubabel shall be brought down. We are dealing with that. Praise the living God. Uh, I think that is what we know more. Turn to the book of Micah, chapter 1. Book of Micah, chapter 1. And, uh, look at five and, uh, 3 and 5, rather. Micah, chapter 1, 3 and 5. It says, look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. Oh, let me read from, that's NIV. Let me read from the King James. The word of the Lord came. The word of the Lord came to Micah the Meshurite in the days of Jotham. Ahaz, Ezekiah, king of Judah. I'm reading from verse 1 now. Which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Verse 2. Here, all your people hike in all earth and all that there is in. And let the word of God be witness against you. The Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord cometh out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. Now watch this. I've already explained to you before the language or the use of the word arts. I mean, if you remember, I've explained that before. When you talk about art, you also have to look at the obvious contents. Right? Here the art is not talking about the globe. It's talking about Israel. It's talking about the people that God is addressing. Is that all right? You go back and listen to the other cities. Verse number four. The Bible says, And the mountains shall be melted under his feet, and the valleys shall be cleft as well before the fire, as the waters that are poured down a steep place. Now for the transgression of Jacob is all this, and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is he not Samaria? And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? Amen. So here the prophet uses the symbol and then tells us again that high places or mountain refers to Jerusalem and what? And Samaria, the two nations. And God said it's going to come down and nations will melt before him. In other words, there is going to be a kind of, just like he visited Babylon, he was going to visit Jerusalem. Remember when you talk about Jerusalem or Jacob and Samaria, you should be able to understand right from when Jeroboam talks about um, my little finger shall be bigger than my father's loin. And then the world came to your tent, O Israel. There was a division. So we are the two kingdoms. The northern kingdom and then the southern kingdom. Is that all right? Northern kingdom has Samaria as its capital. Southern kingdom has Jerusalem as its capital. So anytime you read the scriptures, you're going to be seeing, in the book of Jeremiah, you're going to be seeing um, Samaria or Jerusalem and talking about your sister and so on and so forth. Always referring to those two people. Is that all right? So here God is saying, I'm going to come down, I'm going to bring you down. And one of the major reasons why he's saying this, using the word mountain as well, referring to them as a nation, is because he said, the sin of Samaria and even that of Jerusalem is idolatry. Amen? Praise the living God. Okay. So here we see that in this place, the mountain is actually referred to Jerusalem, which stands for the entire Hebrew nation. That have become opposed to God through idolatry and other sins. They were not kind of opposing God. See, let me tell you this. Often and again, people say, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Have you, have you heard that before? Even people pray that in form of prayer. But may God forbid that God truly arises. Because you see, anytime he's arising, he arises against his enemy. And who knows? If there are things you have also done that made you to become an enemy of God. So when he arises, not just arising against somebody you are thinking about, he's also going to arise against you. That's what he must know. Israel was his own people. But because of their nature, because of their lifestyle, he was not coming against them. Is that alright? But anyway, we believe we're under grace. Fine. But I'm saying that because some of our prayer points, sometimes they are completely out of the book. Amen. Praise the Lord. So, here we find that the nation do a great, na- a great mountain. We met under God's symbolic feet, right? And will be reduced from his glory and greatness by the conquering pagan armies. Okay. Now, this can bring you to an understanding of one particular scripture that is very common as well which is Isaiah chapter 2. 
Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 2. If I ask you now, you should be able to interpret this for me without uh, blinking your eyes. But let me just read it. Isaiah 2. Let's look at verse number 1. Isaiah 2 verse number 1. Are you there with me? The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it. And many people shall go and say, Come, yea, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God, Jacob, and he shall teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his path, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So, from this passage, what do you think mountain stands for here? Right? Now, basically you say, well, the mountain stands for the church, and that is true. But how many of you understand that the church also is a nation? A holy nation, a royal priesthood. That's the point. So mountain speaks of a nation. That's what I'm trying to establish. Hallelujah. Mountain speaks of a nation. So even this scripture talking about the church, which is a nature or the nature of God. So we're a nation among nations. Amen. Hallelujah. And our nation is called a royal priesthood. Praise the living God. Going to the book of Peter. So I want you to get that. And uh, that is what the scripture is making us to understand. In prophetic language, when you come across the word mountain, you don't have to be looking for problems. You don't have to be looking for maybe the Tambalite and Tobias alone. In that sense, you may be applying that in prayer point. Fine. I have no problem with that. But when I read mountains, I don't only see problems. I see people. I see nations, I see kingdoms, I see dominion. Amen? Hallelujah. Okay, let's take a scripture in the New Testament on this, then I'll move to uh, the area that I'm really, really concerned about tonight. Revelation 6. Revelation 6, uh, let's look at verse 14. Like I said before, the Bible says, in the book of Revelation, it talks about the book or the vision be signified unto his son. I mean, unto his servant, John. And like I often explained to you, the word signified in the Greek means symbol. So the book of Revelation was symbolized. Uh, I was reading something recently, and here was this man that was saying, the pastor was preaching, and he said, the whole book of Revelation to be taken literally. You can't spiritualize it. It's not symbolic. It's physical. It's literal. And while he was teaching, there was this sister in the congregation, the face began to change. I was getting disturbed. And so, after the meeting, he says, what's the problem? He said, my dog, my dog. <laughs> so what's the point? Because the book of Revelation says, even the dogs shall not be in. Meaning, his dog will not be taken along with him into the glory. So he was angry and he was feeling bad because it's a literal book. Remember what the Bible says. He said, outside of the kingdom, outside our dogs and whatever, whatever. Is that okay? So she is not feeling bad. My dog is going to be lost. It's not going to be in the city. Why? Because the pastor said the book is what? Literal. And that's a very bad way of presenting the message of God, to be honest, as far as the book of Revelation is concerned. It's a symbolic book. You don't see dogs and begin to look at dogs. I've been able to explain to you what dogs are in these meetings. How many of you remember? Because Philippians 3, Paul explained what dogs are. Hmm? All right. In fact, it has to do with Religion it has to do with what was Judaism and all of this kind of stuff. Paul was trying to explain that. Philippians 3, take time to read that. Amen. So, what I'm trying to establish is you don't read the book of Revelation and be seeing literal things. Otherwise, one day too, you'll be expecting Jesus to come with a sword in his mouth. But this is a symbol, symbolic. 
And so you understand that the sword in the mouth of Jesus actually speaks of the word. Is that alright? It's the word of God. He's not talking about a literal sword in his mouth. Praise the Lord. So Revelation 6 verse 14. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it strolled together. And every mountain and island were moved out of their places. So this is dominion and nations and kingdoms, if you will. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bond man and every free man hid themselves in the dens of, in the dens under the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, follow us, hide us from the face of him that seated on the throne and from the rod of the lamb. Amen. I'm going to explain this more in the next section, which I'm dealing with, going to be dealing with, talking about the mountains following us. Mountains where they call in to follow them. What rocks where they intend it should follow them? All right. But get the point right. If I may read this from, uh, let's say, verse 20, uh, Revelation 16, verse 20, you also have something there from the NIV, similar. It says, The sky receded like a scroll rolling up. Every mountain island was removed from its place. Every island fled away, and the mountains could not be found. Um, well, you need to understand in this context of world, as I'm going to make you see it, this is basically talking about the nation of Israel as well, Judaism as well. When say the mountains fled, the island fled, we're talking about all the priests and the structures. Basically, when you read the heavens, you are talking of authority, governmental power. Is that all right? So when we say the heaven rolled away, it's not talking about the sky rolling away. The heaven, which is the authority of Judaism, rolled away like a book. In other words, the book written about Judaism was over. Praise the living God. That's what he's saying. So finally, in this passage, these two passages we've just read, the mountain was a nation that opposed God and new kingdom itself, which is the spiritual kingdom now. Remember in Revelation 21, said there was no mercy. I saw a new heaven and what? And a new earth. The former have done what? Passed away. So we're talking about those who are opposing God and opposing the new thing that God was doing. And these are the people that God is now coming against in this sense and getting them rolled away. Praise the living God. Hallelujah. And again, if you look at it very closely, it talks about Babylon here. Like I explained to you before, remember, people have always used that. I have no problem with that. The most time, it speaks about the Roman Empire. Okay? But like I mentioned before, in one of our, the course of these studies, Mr. Babylon, the Bible says, was a prostitute. How many of you remember that? Now, Rome was not married to God. So there was no way Rome could be a prostitute of Mr. Babylon. The people that were married to God were supposed to be Israel. Is that all right? Good. So the word, that is why it's a, it's, a, it's a prostitute because even the book of Hosea explained that because Israel was going after other gods. Praise the Lord. So basically, the mystery Babylon, the book of Revelation, is Jerusalem. Because that is a nation that was married to God. That is a nation that had a covenant with God. It was not Rome. Praise the Lord. So here we are dealing with Jerusalem, the Jewish nation. Uh, that have not come to the final day of God's vengeance for it to be destroyed. That's what he's dealing with. And I'm going to explain to you when he talked about mountain fallen us, the hill and whatever. Okay. So when we say the mountain was removed from its place, I will not find anywhere to be found for it. We're talking about the entire system of the Jewish order being wiped away. And God used the Roman soldiers. Remember, in Jeremiah 51, it was the Medes, the Medo patients that God used to wipe out Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar. Is that alright? Now, mystery Babylon this way. Again, another key I gave to you the other time, I think that's Revelation 11. He spoke to us about the two witnesses. I don't know if you remember that. And he told us how that these two witnesses were killed in the city called Sodom and Egypt. 
You remember that? Good. Now we know that Jesus was not crucified in Egypt. Neither was he crucified in Sodom. But what we're saying is, Jerusalem became so corrupted. Now two things you have to understand. When you talk about Sodom, you're talking about the fullness of iniquity. Then we talk about Egypt, you're talking about the spirit of slavery and bondage. So the two things that are actually putting Christ in bondage today in the church is the spirit of bondage and the fullness of iniquity. That's how Christ has been crucified. Amen? Are you sitting there with me? The people are not free not only to receive Christ but to manifest Him. They are continuously babies in the church. And that's the spirit of bondage. Now watch this. When the children of Israel were in Egypt, if they don't give to them, they can eat. I mean, if you remember that. They labor, but they are the mercy of Pharaoh and his people. And that is what you find in the church today. You do not have personal revelation except that which comes from the pulpit. But the next truth is, the pulpit was supposed to equip you to become one with Christ. We have what is called ministry of reconciliation. With that, how to do with the priest. You see, Revelation 5, the Bible tells us that his blood redeems us unto God and he made us priests and kings. With the ministry of priesthood, we stand between God and men. With one hand, we are bringing God. With another hand, we are bringing man. And we are putting them together. Reconciliation. And that's what the Bible said, giving out the ministry of what? Reconciliation. Now, it's expected that when you reconcile a man, you allow the man to face his God. But that is missing in the church today. And that's why I gave a simple illustration the other Sunday. It's evidence that the kind of churches we are raising today, if the pastor travels, then the people have no more contact with God. Because for every need of theirs, they must look for the pastor. That is not the kind of church that Jesus intended us to build. That's why Ephesians 4.11 said, the fivefold ministry was made to do what? Equip the saints until we all grow. There have to be a growth process in your life to be able to go to God and talk to God and get results. You don't have to continuously depend on a pastor. Praise God. So that's the kind of ministry. The ministry of, I mean, the ministry that destroys Christ, which has to do with Egypt, the bondage ministry, and then the sinful ministry, which is Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom has to do with sin. Egypt has to do with slavery. Praise God. So now, if, if these two things were happening in Jerusalem, as it were, because remember, they were the one that killed Jesus, and they fall into iniquity, is that okay? So it's Sodom and Gomorrah. Is that okay? And then Egypt. Okay. If these two things, like I say, if these two things were happening and God could turn against his people to wipe them out, then we should also understand that when we go to the place of crucifying Christ, our flesh, in our life, God, not as if he's going to turn against us, but we lose his protections. Praise the living God. Okay. So the mountain was removed, taken out of the place, the island. Okay, there are a few things you read in that place. Uh, when you talk about the island, talk about mountains, talk about island. Island is not just some island like Bonny Island. Right? It's talking about leaders. Mountains, island leaders. Okay? Are you getting that? Okay. And then important men that are supposed to be in such a nation. The Bible said, us people were removed and they fled away, taken into captivity. Let's look at Revelation again, chapter 8 and verse number 8. Revelation 8, uh, let me look at number 8 now. Uh, 
And the second angel sounded and it were, as it were a great mountain. And I want you to know the word as it were. Burning with fire was cast into the sea and the third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died and the third part of the seas were destroyed. The ship were destroyed. Most often, we read about ship in the Bible. You're talking about ministries. Okay? Ship is not talking about Gongola or whatever. We're talking about ministries. Because you take ship to convey people. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. So now here, when the Bible says he's going to get sounded his trumpet and something like, when I say as it were, if you look at it from the NIV, it's a like a huge mountain. All our blaze was thrown into the sea, and I thought of the sea turning to blood. I tried to explain that a few weeks ago. But when you use the word like, it's not saying it's a mountain. Does it make sense? Hey, does it make sense? So it's not talking about something physical, it's spiritualizing it. It's giving you symbolic understanding of what you're reading. So NIV brought it up clearly and it said, like a mountain. Is that alright? Okay. So now, this mountain that came down burning, and then was thrown into the sea, I explained last two weeks or there about, it's not mystery Babylon now, it's not Jerusalem now, because understand, the sea speaks of a people. Now this mountain was cast into it, and the people died. Is that alright? So which mountain is this? The Roman Empire. Alright? Praise the living God. So here, this mountain represents the Roman Empire, you know, with its armies. And there was thrown into the sea, which has to do with actually Jerusalem now, as God was kind of evaded in Jerusalem for the destruction of Jerusalem. I tried to explain several times what really happened. You know, the sea here has not to do with, again, Atlantic Ocean. It has to do with the people. Amen? Hallelujah. Please, I want you to understand this little word. They are very important. Talk about rivers. Talk about, okay, for instance, when the Bible talks about out of the abelian shall flow rivers of living water, what do you understand by that? Is that rivers somewhere there? Talking about the Holy Spirit. So you see, God doesn't, he uses the natural things to explain spiritual things. So you don't read the Bible and be looking for natural things. That's the point I'm raising. Is that okay? You don't have to be reading and be looking for natural things. So here, we find the first mountain was going to be rolled away, but this mountain was thrown into the sea. So it means this mountain was thrown into a people. Praise the living God. And why is it thrown into the people? Because there is a process by which that first mountain was going to be rolled away. Just like read in Jeremiah 51 verse 11, they made this was stirred up by God to invade Babylon. So here, Roman soldiers were used to invade Jerusalem. But it's also a mountain. That's what I'm trying to raise. Is that okay? Raise the Lord. Okay. So I want you to know that, like we look at this translation, something like a huge mountain, which shows that this is a symbolic image, not literal. See, people turn into blood once the Roman army invaded the land. It symbolizes that they thought because this is one part of the three parts of the pronouncement of judgment that was coming to them. Amen? Now, but the key thing we want to look at again now is when he said, let the mountains fall on us. So can you interpret that now? As you mean, you have to read that to the Bible. And the people were crying, let the mountains fall on us. Okay? Let the hills fall on us. Let the rocks be open. Let's go in. Can you interpret that now? Okay. Let's read. Revelation 6. Revelation 6. Um, verse 2. Let me look at verse 2. And I bear when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of air, and the moon became as blood. 
And the stars of heaven fell into the earth, even as a fig tree casted out on timely figs when she's shaking of a mighty wind. And the heavens departed as a scroll when it's rolled together. Every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Look at verse 13 again first before we progress. I've also explained what stars means. How many of you remember that? Stars falling from heaven have nothing to do with astronomical stars that are going to be cascading down on the last day. Stars are people. Amen? Stars are people. I keep on emphasizing. So when he said the stars fall from heaven, we're talking of people losing their place of power and authority, sons of God, as it were, who have risen to the place of prominence. This language should not be difficult for us to understand except because of the way theologically we've been taught. Otherwise, you know, when somebody is rich in affluence, is come to the place of affluence in society, and peradventure, somewhere along the line, he loses his words. You just end up saying the man has fallen. Have you heard people say that? So where did he fall from? He just fell from glory. That's all. It's not something dropping from the sky. It's not, it's not vertical dropping. But it's losing his power. So here, stars falling from heaven means losing their power. And I tried to explain to you before, in relation to the book of Genesis, the Bible tells us that God made Abraham to see the stars and he said his children shall be as the stars. But above that, we know that Joseph had a dream and 11 stars began to bow down to him. The sun and the moon. And we know that 11 stars speaks of his own brothers. They were people. The moon was the mother, which is a church type. The sun was the father, which is the source of life, a type of Christ. That's why it talks about the son of righteousness shall arise, book of Malachi. Wheelings in his wind, Amen. So son speaks of source of life, fatherhood, because fathers give birth. The moon reflects the sun, I mean the sunlight is a reflection of the sun. So the glory of the moon in the true sense is coming from the sun. Without the sun, no light on the moon. Which is a mother, which is a bride. And that is why in the book of Revelation you find that the, 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 the glory of the bridegroom was upon the bride. Come, let me show you the lamb, the, the lamb's wife. And he took me to a mountain, showed me the heavenly Jerusalem. Adored as what? A bride for her husband. Reflecting the glory of Christ. So stars are the product of the sun and the moon. In the quote, in, in this sense, in relation to the issue of Joseph. Is that okay? So when we say stars are falling, we are talking about people losing their power, losing their glory. And in context, we are dealing with the children of Israel. Hallelujah. And then, remember it talks about the fig. If you remember very precisely, I think in the book of Matthew 24 as well, or so, Jesus calls a fig tree. I don't know if you remember that. And the disciple came and said, hey, Master, come and see, this fig tree is withered. The Bible made us to understand that the fig tree had leaves but no fruit. But one strange thing is that, as at the time Jesus called the fig tree, it was no time for figs. How many of you remember that? So Jesus wasn't dealing with a natural fig because he couldn't be so hungry, knowing also, that it was no time for figs, and then he's looking for fruit in a fig, fig tree. But the fig tree was the house of Israel. It was full of religion, which is leaves, but no fruit of the Spirit. Is that okay? If you look at the book of Jeremiah, you're going to find that. So the fig tree speaks of the house of Israel. Now when it's full of leaves, it means it's full of religion. And you find the same thing in the book of Genesis. When Adam and Eve sin, what did they do? They got fig leaves to sow an apron. They were covering themselves with religion. And God said, no, what you need is an atonement. 
Hallelujah. So you got to kill the lamb and use his skin to do what? To clothe them. That's the atonement of Christ. Which gave to them. Instead of religion. But the problem is man lost religion more than the atonement of Christ. Praise the living God. Come on, are you there with me? So, here the Bible is saying, And the sound of heaven fell into the earth, even as a fig tree casted out on timely figs, when she's shaking of a mighty wind. The mighty wind now is the terrible danger that is coming through the Roman armies. And the Bible says, And the heaven departed. And I've said before, the heaven speaks of the authority of the Jewish religion. Amen. The heaven departed the scroll when it rolled together. Every mountain island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, those in authority, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bond man, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens under the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the face of him, listen to that, that seated on the throne. Who is sitting on the throne? Jesus, and from the rod of the Lamb. So, when did Jesus ascend the throne? The book of Acts tells us that. After resurrection, he was glorified, sitting on the throne of his father, David. Is that okay? So, this is a vengeance of the Lamb against Israel. It's what we're seeing here. It's not a picture of tomorrow. It's, it's something that is going to come, right? I mean, I don't know. How do pastors really interpret this? Praise the living God. Look at verse 17. He said, But the great day of his wrath is come. And who shall buy or be able to stand? The great of whose wrath? The wrath of the Lamb. Can you get that? Good. So all those happening, they have them rolling away, the feet casting the youngs, and I mean... Her leaves and stars falling down. All things are described, all describing the move of God against Jerusalem. And precisely AD 17. Praise the Lord. So when you look at the word fallen us, it's simply a language of a desperate man who needs protection from an invasion. Is that okay? It's a frantic effort for protection from destruction. What I was saying is like saying, let other nations come to assist us. <laughs> Remember, even in the book of Isaiah, the world made us understand there comes a time when invasion was coming to Israel and Israel have to go and join themselves to other nations for defense. Is that okay? That is another way of saying, let the mountain do what? Fallen us. This was not to destroy us, but to protect us. Come help us. Come protect us from this invasion, from this destruction. Praise the living God. So he described the spirit of fear and distress coming upon the people. When he said that the mountain fallen us. When that cry comes up, that's just what he's talking about. Let me give you a simple illustration here. Get on to Hebrews chapter... I mean, Hosea 10. And I'll read from the NIV. Let the mountain fall on us. Let the rock fall on us. They hide us. <laughs> it's not talking about literal things. And people will preach this to you and tell you, man, this is what's going to happen in the day of Armageddon. No, man. It already did happen. If there was any Armageddon before, there was one, if you will. Uh, but the true spirit of Armageddon is a warfare between righteousness and evil. And it's right inside your spirit. It's taking place every day in your life. Ability to stand for righteousness. Ability to be able to stand against invasion of evil. Armageddon is a symbol of evil invading righteousness. Amen. Hosea chapter 10, verse number 8. NIV. The high places of wickedness will be destroyed. It is the sin of Israel. Tons and thistles will grow up and cover their altars. 
they will say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. Is it there? When, you see, if you look at it from the King James, the word aven actually means wickedness. If you're reading King James, what they're going to say is aven, which means wickedness. And that's what the NIV just simply put there. So what was the scene of the northern kingdom, which is Jerusalem? It was simply what? Idolatry. Is it clear? And God is saying, because of your idolatry worship, because you've left the true worship of God, you've left Yahweh, you're not going after other God, I'm going to come to invade you. And this is what you're going to say. Let the mountains do what? Fall on us. Fall on us, I say, cover us. That's what it really means. Not crush you now. But let the mountains do what? Cover us. What does that mean? Protect us. I'm, look at what you say. I'm, I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. What you are trying to say, you are covered, you are protected by the blood. Is that not true? So when he said, let the mountain cover us, what do you think he's talking about? Let the other nation protect us from the anger of the Lord. But that's a desperate and to me, a foolish, a foolish cry. Because how could... A natural nation, as it were, protect you from the anger of God. God can also do with that nation. Amen. And to the hills, fall on us. Not crush us, but cover us. Smaller mountains. He speaks of smaller kingdoms. Mountains and hills are kingdoms and then smaller nations or kingdoms, as the case may be. But the key point I want you to note is mountain speaks of what? A nation that are opposed to to God. Praise the Lord. So here Israel, reading Hosea, Israel is crying that other nations should come and it's like defend us or protect us or cover us from the wrath of God. Amen? And that is to me uh, it's a cry of foolishness. I don't know how to put it. I'm sorry. Uh, but it's just like when you read the story of Lazarus and the rich man, and you see the rich man said, um, give me a finger of water to cool my tongue. Have you read that? Luke 16. You are born in what is a finger, a drop of water, got to do? Give me a bucket of water, she made a cry, not a finger. Hallelujah. Amen? But we know it's not talking about a finger in the literal sense. But, but that is what people interpret and they want to tell you how how I don't know what you call it now, how useless and 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 whatever hell situation is. But the truth is finger of God is the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says, Who can tame his tongue? Book of James. This man has spoken so many things against Jesus and say. Can I get the Holy Spirit so that I can change my language? It's not talking of water. <laughs> Look at what Jesus said. If I cast a devil with what? The finger of God. That the kingdom of God has come unto you. Holy Spirit. That's another story for another day. You like to hear that? Thank you. Isaiah chapter 2. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 2. So mountain fallen us, rocks Fallen us, I just say protect us from the anger of God. Because God was angry with Israel. Because of idolatry worship, the forsaken the true God. Isaiah 2 19. And they shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth for fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty when he ariseth to shake terribly the earth. Can you get that? In that day, a man shall cast his idols of his silver and his idols of gold, which they made each for himself to worship, to the moles and to the bars, to go into the cleft of the rock and into the tops of the ragged rocks for fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty. When he ariseth to shake terribly, what? The earth. Is it clear there? So the reason why God is coming, when he talks about arising, he's talking about coming now in judgment to Israel and they begin to run. They need protection. They wanted protection. They wanted a covering from the anger of God. So that's why they were crying, let the mountains do what? 
following us. We're not talking about Mount Everest. Where's the other man say we have in Nigeria? I don't even know. Should be maybe in the West. Let the mountains come on us. Let the hills fall on us. No, 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 no. It's not a literal thing. What he's saying, we need protection from other nations. We need protection from other kingdoms. Praise the Lord. Are you there with me? Okay. So we find that the sin of the kingdom of Israel uh, was answered to by God when he brought in the Assyrian nations against them. And that was in 721 B.C. Looking at Isaiah chapter 2. When the anger of God came in, when God began to shake terribly the earth, not the entire world, the earth as the people now, when God started shaking the terribly, it was when he released the Assyrian Empire to go invade Israel in 721 B.C. And they were brought down. Hallelujah. Amen? So you see, when you talk about mountains and hills to fall on us, they are symbolic of the people of Israel becoming frantic and desperate as they see the invaders approaching. In their panic, they will wish to be delivered by enemies, even figuratively speaking, to the point of asking the mountains and hills to swallow them up in order to avoid the incoming judgment. That is just it. Praise the living God. Amen? Now I'm going to make you see that Jesus said the same thing. So that you can put these things together. In AD 70, what was going to happen, Jesus told the people before it happened and he used the same language. Talk with me to the book of Luke. The book of Luke chapter 23. This is an interesting one. Hallelujah. Luke 23. Look at verse 26. The Bible says, as they led him away. Led who? Jesus. They laid hold upon one Simon, a Syrian, Syrian, coming out of the country, and on him they laid a cross, that he might bear it after him. That's after Jesus. And there followed him a great company of people, and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. Now follow that. They were crying. Is that all right? Praise God. They were crying. But look at verse 27. I mean 28. But Jesus turning unto them said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourself and for your children. For behold, or look, the days are coming in which they shall say, Blessed. Are you there with me? Are the barren and the womb that never bear and the paths which they never give suck. Then shall they begin to say, to what? To the mountains, what? Fall on us. And to the hills, do what? Very good. So, who was Jesus talking to here? The people of Jerusalem. And again, like I always say, when he said, the days are coming, when they shall say, blessed are those who didn't give birth. Like I said before, in some time, some years back in my, as I came into the faith, I was made to understand that is the picture of the rapture. And then it will have been too bad that you have children. And then those who don't have children and things like that. It's safer if you don't have a family. You are gone. Amen. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. He was talking about rapture. He was talking about what's going to happen in AD 70. In the sense that if you have children, to begin to gather your children and run will be a difficult thing. Go and say, blessed are those who never give pap, who don't have children. Because it would be easy for you to do what? To run. From the invasion of the Roman army. I have nothing to do with the rapture. Hallelujah. Amen. So, verse 28 explains precisely who Jesus was addressing here. He was talking to the daughters of Jerusalem. And the prediction was the invasion of the Roman soldiers in when? AD 70. Of course, Christ knew what was going to happen to them, but the people didn't know. I mean, if you understand what I'm saying. People didn't know. So, he knew that the city and the nation was going to be destroyed by war and famine. It was by these very people that were pleading for what? For deliverance. 
Follow us. Follow us. Amen? Okay. Let's take our final reading, maybe Revelation chapter 6, but I'm sure you're already getting the message and uh, you can read with proper interpretation. Revelation 6, let's look at... Uh, uh, Revelation 6, let's look at 15, 17 again. We read it before. Then the kings of the earth and the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountain. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the broad of the Lamb. So what, here we're seeing that the judgment that was come, going to come to Jerusalem then was going to fall upon the highest down to the lowest. The kings, the princess, if you will, children, whatever. There was no sparing of anybody because, you see, when they came, the last stage on the whole city. So you can come out, you can go in. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So the kings of the earth were the religious and political leaders of that time. The religious and the political leaders of that time. Like the Sahendrin, the high priest. You know, the Sahendrin were more or less the people taking charge, taking before the, the court of the Sahendrins. Is that okay? They were the political leaders under the high priest, Anas, Caiaphas, and other type of people, rich and poor, slave and free. They were frantically seeking deliverance from the Roman attack. That is just what he's saying there. From the kings, the free people, the bond, whatever. They were just looking for a means of escape. So that the language that God was using here. It's not talking one more time. It's not saying literal thing. So here we find that it doesn't matter who you were. As long as you were in the city, the attack was going to trap you there. For the city was sealed up and no one was able to escape. Amen? So that's why I talk about the kings and everybody. Anytime you read, it's not always in terms of... Okay, I remember I mentioned that to you some time ago. When the Bible talks about if the princess of this world had knew what the Lord did, he wouldn't have crucified a lot of glory. Right? Often and again, we think that has to do with the devil. He wasn't talking about the devil. Huh? Peter even explained that. He said, by the determinate counsel of God, you crucified him. He was speaking to the Jewish people. They were the ones that crucified Jesus. They were the princess the Bible was referring to. Not the devil. Eh? Are you there with me? Not the devil. That were the princes that God was referring to. The prince of this world, basically, often again we say it was the state and find no problem about that. But when you're talking about the princes that crucified the Lord, you're talking about the religious people. You know, Pilate washed his hand and said, Man, I'm free of this. Say, No, you bring giving to us. <laughs> Amen. And you know, there was a prophetic language. I think it was Caiaphas who was, was the high priest for the for that season. The Bible said, Don't you know? Somebody have to die for Israel, Jerusalem to be saved. How many of you remember that? That was a prophetic word. And everybody said, come on, let us have him. Release Barabbas, give him to us. Praise the Lord. So they were the one that crucified Jesus. It was not the Roman people. Because if they had agreed with Pilate, they would have released Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the living God. So, here we are talking about the judgment that came upon these people. Because they've gone into idolatry, they've gone into the lifestyle that was not of God. In quote, they denied the Lord. They rejected Him. And uh, some of you need to understand that even after Jesus made some of those statements, like the things you read in Matthew, Mark, John, and Luke, it took almost about 30 to 40 years before the things He said came to pass. In the true sense, it took 40 years after his departure for all of those things to come to pass. That is why when you're looking at the books like books of Peter, James even said something. He said, look, say the judge is at the door. Okay? What judge is there at the door? They were all making reference to the father. The time is close. When you keep on reading, the time is at hand from the epistles. The apostles, it just cast your mind back. They were making reference to what is going to come to the Jewish people in AD 70. 
Are you still there with me? That is the point. So we need to understand, like I said before, if you are reading these prophetic languages, you must also think about the audience contents. Who is the scripture addressing? Who was this prophet talking to? You need to understand that. Once you can pull those things together, it is easy for you to interpret the Bible. Everything I'm doing is just to give you keys that will enable you to read and interpret the word. You have to apply it to yourself. After you've seen it happen to other people, you have to apply it to yourself. Amen? Praise the living God. I just pray that God will give you understanding. I pray that God will give you insights. Just take this back home. The mountains you fall on us, the rocks you fall on us, have nothing to do with literal mountain and literal rocks. But they are saying, may we be protected from the anger of God by other nations because the anger of the Lord is right here. But there is something very strange in what we've just read as well. It talks about the rot of the lamb. Is it not strange? How can the lamb have an anger? <laughs> but I was supposed to be a lamb that was slain, and yet you open not his mouth. That's another story for you another day. God bless you. See you next week.